Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. So I don't know what's wrong with y'all, but they called in the shrink this morning. So I'm going to give you a chance to do something you've been wanting to do for a long time. The person you came with knows you well, your spouse or whoever it is. I know you've been wanting to do this. I want you to turn, look them in the eye and say, you've got issues. <laughs> Just so, you know, we're going to get oriented here. We got any issues in here? Anybody got any issues? Anybody not have any issues? You, sir, right here. Could you stand for us? Can you just stand up and just wave at everybody? I want everybody to see what denial looks like in the flesh. Don't start out that way. <laughs> we all have issues, right? I'm going to um, talk about one big life issue this morning. And that is the word trust. Anybody in here ever been hurt by somebody? Boy, that's a room full of denial right there. I don't see any hands. No, actually we all have, and it's probably hurt so much you didn't want to raise your hand because betrayal or, you know, we're let down in some way. Everybody's got the experience of having trusted someone and been hurt in some way. And the reason it hurts so deeply is the same reason that you see the word trust in the Bible all the time. You can't go very far in the scriptures where it doesn't say trust in the Lord because everything begins with trust. And I would start by saying trust is the currency of life. It's the fuel. It's what makes everything else work. And there's a reason for that. Because God is the only person that is self-sustaining. He doesn't need anything from outside of himself, but he's the creator. The rest of us are created beings, which means we have to draw life from outside of ourselves. And the only way to do that is to make ourselves vulnerable and to trust. But sometimes we trust and get hurt, and sometimes we don't trust when we should, and our trust muscle gets broken, but it actually is the fuel of all of life. How many of you ladies had babies? Okay, you remember when your baby was born? Remember when they popped out and turned around, looked at you and said, oh, mom, was that hard on you? I'm so sorry. Can I clean up around here? You go get a massage or something? I'll take care. That's not what they did, right? What they did was they turned to you and they showed you what hell looks like. Remember when Jesus said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, that was your baby. That's hell. And the reason it's hell, it's exactly what the Bible says. For the first time, they experienced separation from life. See, they were in a totally trusting environment where they, had, they were sucking in life without even thinking about it. 
Now this doesn't say a lot about my physical acumen right now. My watch is asking if I fell. <laughs> I did not fall, okay? I've been, I, I just went through two total knee replacements and spine surgery and I've been sitting for about two and a half years. And now if I even move, my phone thinks I've, they're gonna call an ambulance. But what does that baby do? The baby is separated from life and it's got to turn to mama and something magical that God has designed every human being for begins to happen. The baby looks up and whatever they're experiencing, the mother mirrors that. They're called mirror neurons in tones and in eye contact. And that baby starts to neurologically understand at some level that she understands. And oxytocin and all these chemicals that God wired into us begin to flow that opens us up to trust, to begin to take in life for the first time. See, a human is wired by God to trust because it's gonna make the rest of your life work. And we're not wired neurologically, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. We're wired for this. There's a chip inside that says, you got to trust. You got to open yourself up to get life. And if we don't, if a baby can't do that, they have something called failure to thrive syndrome. And we have to stimulate them to begin to trust. And see, we're wired like that from the womb to the tomb, and it never ends. But what happens is it gets broken. And this capacity to trust gets broken. I was sitting on a plane when I was, I was doing research on trust, and a guy sitting next to me said, what are you working on? I said, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm researching trust. And he says, no, well, I don't trust anybody. I said, really? He said, absolutely. I learned a long time ago, you just can't trust people. He said, I only trust myself. I said, well, I'm also a psychologist and you're crazy. <laughs> he said, what, what do you mean? I said, you're crazy. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you absolutely trust all the time. He said, I do not. I said, dude, look out the window. You're at 43,000 feet. Did you get yourself up here? You trust a couple people. You don't even know their names. You trust a guy to put fuel in this plane. How do you know it's not chocolate milk? You trusted the cars to stay on the other side of the road when you drove to the air. Don't tell me you don't trust because life depends on it. But I said, if I heard your story, and we got four hours, so you might as well tell me. By the way, if you're, a, if you're, if you're a psychologist and you're on an airplane, don't tell people you're a psychologist. Normally, we can end a session after 45 minutes, right? But So he starts to tell me a story, and what I found was, oh, he had been hurt, and because of that, he kind of stopped trusting. And then I heard the rest of the story. You can see how limited and broken a trail of relationships in life was because of this inability to trust. Because we're wired to do it. But the problem is this, that it does get broken and just like a turtle goes back in its shell, when it's not safe, that's what our heart does. Right. 
And then conversely, because we're wired to trust and propel for it, sometimes we trust with our hearts or our wallets or hire somebody and the drug trip is going, oh, it all looks good. But our heart's not connected to our heads. And there's some objective reasons to hit the go button besides how we feel sometimes. And so what I've tried to do with this, this material is for years and years, I researched this whole field of trust and how it works in business and marriage and relationships and all of that. And it comes down to really, there's about five factors. And we're going to go through this this morning. Five boxes that we need to check that drive the way trust actually works. Because it does get broken, but we need to do it. So let's hop into these. What is the first one? The very first one that drives trust. And it's what I alluded to a moment ago. God has wired you with something called mirror neurons. You probably read about them. And that's where unconsciously we begin to feel with a person in tones and expressions and even physical proximity and a lot of stuff unconsciously, the neurological system begins to open up and lean in. First of all, because we feel understood. And see, a lot of people try to tr get you to trust them by convincing you this is a good deal and this is what, but they're trying to persuade you before you feel like they really understand what you even need or what you feel or who you are. And trust doesn't begin with persuasion. It begins with somebody feeling understood. See, we don't understand somebody when we understand them. We understand them when they understand that we understand. And that comes from something called, ready for a big word? Listening. Listening is a, it's brain science. But before the fancy people figured this out, the Bible already said it. It said that he who gives an answer before he hears, before he understands, is a fool. And it is a folly and a shame when we're given answers before we've really heard because that's what opens things up to begin with. I was, I was talking about this at a leadership event one time because I do, most of my work is with CEOs and businesses and we're talking about the importance of trust in the way business has to work, whether you're building your brand or your employees or your teams or your culture or your, the investors or regulators or whatever it is. And after I talked about this part of it, a guy walks up to me and he says, yeah, I'm the lead hostage negotiator for the FBI. And everything you just described is our training program. He said, when I go into a bank where a guy's got a bomb strapped to him and 20 hostages, you can't go in and persuade them, this is not smart. <laughs> this doesn't end well, you don't do that. He said, what we do is we walk in and say, hey, I'm, I'm Joey. And, they sent me in here to talk to you, what's your name? They get the name and then they stop and they say, so how do we get here today? What's going on? 
And like the Bible says, the wise person is able to, it says a, a person's heart is deep waters and the wise person is able to draw them out. And we don't do that by talking, we do it by hearing. And that's where it starts. I was called into a situation one time where it was a global company and the CEO and the chairman of the board had gotten sideways and it split the board and it was a big problem and the whole thing was about to blow up. And if one of them left, it was gonna literally, you'd have read about it in the papers, it would have affected hundreds of thousands of lives and gazillions of dollars. And it was, they called it an emergency board retreat because it was about to blow up. So we lock ourselves up for a weekend and started having them, you know, just sat down and said, look, I just want to make sure we're all starting from the same set of facts. So let's get that, you know, where are we? How, what's going on? And so they start to talk and the chairman's talking and the CEO talks a little bit and the chairman talks a little bit. And when he did, the CEO would kind of interrupt or, you know, a few things like that. And he kept doing some other. And after about 15 minutes, the chairman, who's a big, powerful titan of industry, looks up at the board and he closes his portfolio. He looks at the board and says, I'm done here. You guys can have it. Good luck. And everybody knew what that meant. And it was going to be bad. He gets up. He starts to walk out the door. Now, I didn't know what to do. And I don't know why I did this. But I got up and I ran in front of him and sat down on the floor and blocked the door. (laughs) And he walks up and I said, look. You can walk out that door, but if you do, you will have put into motion a series of events that can't be undone. So I want you to do me a favor and just sit down for a second. I just want to talk to you. So he looks at me like I'm weird. He sits down. The guy sat down. And I, I looked at him and I said, I just want you to tell me something. What does it feel like to you when he does what he just did? I'm at the CEO. He looks at me. He starts to talk, but when he did, his chin started to quiver. And you could see the pain that this man was walking around with. And then he started to talk, and he could barely get the words out. And he kept talking about the last year and things that had happened. And then I noticed out of the corner of my eye, the CEO got up and he's walking over there and he sat down. And when he did, he, he put his arm on his shoulder and he said, I, I never knew I made you feel that way. I'm so sorry. And they looked at each other and one of them started, and I interrupted them and said to the board, can you guys just you know, give us a room for a little bit here? We talked for about an hour and after that, the two men walked out in the foyer and said to the board, okay, I think we can go forward now. Y'all come back in. Now, we had a lot of work to do after that, but the point is nobody was listening to the other one. And it, it violated everything how God created us. If you think about what did Jesus do, first of all, 
Well, first of all, he persuaded and that didn't work. You know, he sent Moses up on the hill and said, hey guys, if you do this, things will be great. (laughs) But that didn't work. In fact, the book of Romans tells us that the law was given through Moses and it was powerless to change us. It was useless, the Bible says, to change us. But what Jesus did was he came down so we would know he's, we're not, he's not trying to get us up to his level. He came to down to where we are. Right. And he understands. He was betrayed. His friends gave him up to die. He was abandoned. He was spit on. He knows what that feels like. He understands us. So it begins with this understanding, and it's so powerful. I was talking to a psychologist friend who came in. This is back when I did a lot of hospital work, and he came in. He said, I had the most interesting experience this morning. I said, what happened? He said, well, my wife's out of town, and my five-year-old was trying to get her ready for school, and she was lollygagging. I kept going back, get get ready. We got to go. We got to go. And I'd come back in, and she's playing with stuff and not getting ready. And I'm getting frustrated, and I'm, I'm starting to push her and get and then I stopped and said now what would I do if this was one of my patients and then it hit him he said I got down and I looked at her and I said you miss your mama don't you and she nods and she falls into his arms and she's crying and he's holding her. He said, I miss her too. And he said, we're sitting there and she's crying and I'm crying. And then after, I don't know, a minute or so, all of a sudden she goes, Daddy, we got to go. <laughs> Started to work again after she felt understood. So that's the first one. And it's so powerful as I tell you, I'm, um, I, I've been, uh, I was unable to walk for the better part of the last three years. Had two knee replacements and spine surgery. And when I was looking for the first surgeon, um, I go see, you know, the guy. Everybody says, this is the guy. So you go see the guy. And he walks in and puts my x-rays up, my MRI. And he looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, you need a new knee. We got to replace this knee. I said, really? He said, yeah. And if anybody tells you anything different, they're wrong. He said, I understand what's going on here, which he did. I understand what's going on here, and you got to get a new knee. So, you know, no need to wait. I want you to schedule it, and we'll get this done. It's nice to meet you. And I'm going, wait. (laughs) You're going to amputate my leg, and that's it? You just looked at a film? He said, no, I totally understand what's happening. And that was it. He walked out. Well, I wasn't quite ready. (laughs) So I think, I'm going to go talk to another doctor. And I got referred to a guy, and... He calls me, send him the x-rays and MRIs, and he calls me, and he says, yeah, um, Fred, our mutual friend, told me to call you. He said, "Um, I looked at your x-rays. He said, how are you still walking around? I said, I'm not. (laughs) He said, this is terrible. He said, tell me, um," he said, when did the pain start? And how does it progress, and where does it come from, and and how's it, what's it doing to your life? And he's listening. And all of a sudden, I can feel myself go, I like this guy better. Because <laughs> that's the first part of trust is where we feel understood. And just like that chairman said, I'm done. How many times 
has somebody, a spouse, walked home to a note and said, I'm, it's over. And they go, what happened? And, but they had been trying to tell them for 10 years. But a lot of times we're not listening. So that's the first one. Well, I got Dr. Empathy now, right, who understands my pain, and I'm loving this doctor. And what if happened when I went, so I'm going to interview several doctors, so I go to the third one, and I go to him, <clears throat> and he understands, and he's very understanding and empathic, and then he's examining me, and then he goes, hey, hey, come, you guys, and he motioned out in the hall, and then three residents come in, whom he was training, he goes, all right, so look at, see the way this bends here, and this is what I was talking about the other day, and this angle, and that muscle right there, he said, now, this would be exactly what we're looking for, perfect subject for our, you know, the project, the, the, you know, the research, and we're going to present the paper, and I want you, and all of a sudden, I'm not even there, <laughs> and here's number two, motive. I could tell he's there for his own interest, not mine. And you could feel it. Now, everybody has self-interest. Those are very important. I mean, a relationship's got to be mutually satisfying. But a relationship never is satisfying if the motive of one person is only about their agenda and not yours. How many times you've been on a team where it breaks down, the team's trying to go somewhere where this one person has their own agenda and they keep kind of like driving things for their own agenda, their own motive. We feel it. You know, your, your neurological system that God has wired into you 24-7 asks one question down your spinal column, in your gut, in your heart, in your head, Around the clock, the first thing the human organism is wired to detect is one question, am I safe? Because when we feel safe, that's when we begin to trust and open up and perform. I mean, research has shown that performance teams and leadership teams outperform in every index profits and morale and market share and all this kind of stuff to the degree that there's high trust. They just do better. And we're wired to do this. I mean, right now, most of you for the last minute have been breathing. Okay. Say amen. And you haven't even noticed it. See, God wired you to be able to trust when your body tells you it's okay. But if there were a gas fume that moved through here, and I'm not talking about the one in your car earlier, I'm talking about if you detected, that was another joke, you'll think about that later. <laughs> if you detected a fume in here of a gas, your body, before you, it was conscious, you would start to sniff around and look further into it, and then you go, something's, this air is not trustworthy to breathe. It's wired into us. And when we sense that a motive in a marriage or in a business relationship that 
it's all about the other side and their interests, and we're supposed to morph into that instead of meet each other's needs. It never works. So the second one is motive. We've got understanding, and we have motive. All right, so now I go to another doctor, the one that was actually I liked in the beginning, that understood. And when I go visit him, he said, so I, you know, I was talking to a couple of your buddies, and I read about you, and you're a competitive golfer your whole life. And I said, yeah. He says, he says we got to get you back on the golf course. And you got two daughters? And I said, yeah. He said, you got to be, you know, traveling with them and doing stuff. He said, we got to get you back to life. And he starts talking about my life, not his. All of a sudden, I'm feeling like this guy cares. So the first two boxes we got to check is, do they get me? Do they understand me? I mean, when you, if you're in a business and you're selecting a vendor, you want the kind that you feel like they really understand our business and what we need, not just what they're trying to push. And it's not just their motive or their agenda, it's ours. So you got those two. So I got doctor understanding now and his motive is good. So now we're ready to go for surgery, right? And he says, let's go schedule it. And then he says, I'm really excited about doing your knee surgery because I'm an OB-GYN. I've never done one. And ever since medical school, I've wanted to. And I'm going, whoa. <laughs> Box number three, do they have the ability to deliver what I'm entrusting to them? Because we can fall in love. And we can think somebody is awesome. You know, I'm going to hire this person. They're so great and all this. But we've never looked at in the context that I'm going to trust them for, even though I trust them maybe to understand me and they got good motives and all of that, do they have the ability to really pull off what I need? A friend of mine called me whose daughter had a boyfriend, had been for a year or so, and, and he said, the boyfriend called me and wants to take me to dinner. He said, I know what that means. She's, he's gonna ask for her hand in marriage. He said, what do you say at that dinner? How do you do that dinner? I've never done this before. And I said, well, I got two daughters. I know what I'm going to do. He said, what? And I said, I'm going to tell him, okay, when you come to dinner, I want you to bring your last two years tax returns and your credit report. <laughs> and he laughed like you did. <laughs> he thought I was nuts. And I said, I'm not kidding. He said, oh, come on. You're not. I said, I absolutely am going to do that. He said, that's so rude. That's so intrusive. I said, look, I don't care about the numbers. He can white them out. I just want to know, can he find them? <laughs> Do they exist? Did he file them? And on the credit report, I know everybody can have a season, but there's a narrative that ought to be able to explain that. But if, you've got, if he's got a pattern of what? not delivering on what he's promised somebody he could deliver with their earthly treasure. And you want me to give him my treasure, my daughter's? I ain't doing that. Now he might be Mr. Right, but he's not Mr. Right now. <laughs> So we got some development that may have to go on. 
Or she might have to chalk this up to, you know, a learning experience. I was called into a company one time where for CEO coaching, and I said, what's happening? They said, he's been the CEO for about a year, and things aren't really going like we planned. The morale's not what it ought to be, and we just don't have the momentum and the performances. I said, well, how do you get to be the CEO? And, and they said, well, we promoted him. He was the COO, and our CEO retired, and so we promoted him to CEO. And they said he was amazing. He was 10 years as a CEO. Everybody loves this guy. And he redid supply chains and distribution systems and our infrastructure. And he did all these incredible things. So we made him the CEO from the COO. And I said, where did he get the E? They said, what do you mean? I said, he's a COO. Now he's a CEO. Where did he get the E? They said, we promoted him. I said, I know you put him in the chair, but where did he get the abilities? Because those are very different abilities. And when I look at this scenario and what's going on in the company, I see a great operator. I don't see a CEO. I don't see the abilities present and the competencies to do what a CEO does. And that's what you're experiencing here. So we got to build the third element of trust is the competency. See, you can trust a boyfriend who understands you and has great motives and loves your daughter. But this is a different job description to be a husband (laughs) or a wife. You see, we can trust in different contexts for different things, but we got to know if I'm going forward personally or professionally with this person, do they have all the elements? And we got to look at the ability to pull this off. When my oldest daughter, Olivia, started driving. How many of you have ever had a kid that got their driver's permit? Y'all ever been through that? That's why they made drugs. <laughs> when you're sitting in that other seat, and I'm looking over at her, the first time we go on the real streets, because I, you know, played around in golf carts and in parking lots where they're before. This is a real street. I mean, I, I'm going, I wiped you. <laughs> how, how are you driving now? I mean, how did she get this big? And she's not ready to do this. And I'm like, oh no. And so, so I'm trying to, you know, be a somewhat sane person. And we get to the first stop sign and she kind of sort of rolled through it a little bit. And I said, Olivia, you didn't come to a complete stop. She goes, dad, I know how to drive. I said, Olivia, pull over. And she looked at me, she pulled over, and I said, let me tell you how you know how to drive, how you know that you know how to drive. This is when you know how to drive, when I can sit over here and not fear for my life. That's when you know you can drive. Because that's trust. I can be careless. When a spouse travels, can you not worry about it? When you send somebody to complete a deal or do an acquisition or fix a project, are you free to do something else because you're not worrying about it? That's the carelessness that trust provides. It's being able to breathe without thinking about it because you know you're safe. But we have to rest in competent hands that have the ability to pull it off, right? So now my doctor, I find out, the good one, 
He's not an OBGYN. He's the president of the American Association of Joint Replacement Surgeons, and he invented the device that one of them is the most used. He holds the patent on it. He lectures all over the world. And I go check the third box because he's definitely got the competency and the ability to pull this off. So now we're ready to go. All right, so what if he says, you know, I'm about to do one of these in an hour and the operating room has a, a theater. You know, you can watch. He says, you want to watch me do one, you can. Well, first of all, I'm not going to go watch him hack somebody up <laughs> knowing that I'm next, right? So I passed on that, and I didn't go on YouTube until later. And then I went, why did I go through that? But what if I had? What if I had looked in to Dr. Empathy and Good Motive and Mr. Competent, and so he starts opening this guy up, and you see him working, then all of a sudden he goes, oh, no, he's bleeding. Oh, he's bleeding. And he runs out of the operating room. Well, now we got the fourth box. And that's do they have the character and the personal makeup that we need for what we're entrusting to them? How are they glued together? Because it might be great in one setting, but for what we're trusting somebody with, do they have the makeup to do it? How many times have you worked with somebody that's got all the competencies and all of that, but under pressure, they get goofy? Or as the Bible says, they're like a, a, a city without walls is an angry man. They're out of control. And this makeup, you know, I, I got called by a, a Christian organization one time by the president. He said, I want you to come do some leadership development with our executive team. And so I flew back there and I sat down and said, you know, I work in businesses mostly and I always like to work in a Christian organization too, because you just talk about the spiritual aspects of leadership. I thought his hair was going to catch on fire. He looks at me and he goes, wait, stop. I didn't call you in here to do spiritual development. These are the godliest men I know. They've been walking with the Lord for 25 years. These are godly men. He gave me that kind of preacher voice. These are godly men. You know, and I said, well, what kind of, he said, I need leadership development not spiritual development. They need some leadership abilities. That they, I said, well, they're kind of connected, don't you think? And he said, no, I need leadership. So I said, well, what kind of leadership problems are you having? He says, well, I can't get them to work together. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they all protect their own departments and their people and their projects. And, and I got to get them above what they're doing and work together and share resources and share information and try to help each other. And they only want to protect their own, and they, I can't get them together. And I said, these are the godly men? <laughs> he said, they're godly men. I said, my Bible says that love doesn't seek its own in 1 Corinthians 13. And further, you go to 2 Peter 1, it says if you're going to be fruitful, which we need an executive team to be, right? Deliver results. It says it's going to start with the basics of trust, moral excellence. They're not going to lie, cheat, or steal. But my daughters knew not to lie, cheat, or steal when they're six years old. They're not ready to run a company. And then it goes on to show us that it's a bigger picture than that. It's a completeness in order to be fruitful in life. After moral excellence, it goes into knowledge 
Are they a learner? Are they curious? Can they get better? Because that gets into arrogance, too. They think they're know-it-alls. And then it says perseverance. Can they go through problems and keep going? And then it says self-control. Are they impulsive or don't have emotional regulation? And then, Mr. President, it says, do they have mutual affection? I don't hear a lot of mutual affection around this table. We've seen this in the NBA or the NFL, seen it in pretty much all the team sports where they'll have three or four superstars and lose because the makeup is not what it needs to be to create a team. So we gotta ask, what's the makeup? I had a brother-in-law who's a Navy SEAL and he was, you know, these guys, the courage they have and what they pull off. And if I got the bad guys coming after me, I want Mark. <laughs> He's got the makeup to pull that off. But if my dog dies, I'm not calling Mark to cry on his shoulder. He'd say, get over it. Come on, let's go shoot somebody, right? I'm calling somebody with a little different makeup. It's got some understanding and compassion. But then if the bad guys are coming at me, I'm not going to trust him or her for that. If it, what are you trusting this person for? And are they glued together in a way that's going to make that work? So now we got four things. We got understanding, we got motive, we got ability, we got makeup. And I got my surgeon. All right, we're ready to go. Because he's cool under pressure. And he says, all right, let's go schedule this. So I follow him to go schedule it. Walk out in the hall, and there's a dead guy lying in the hallway. And I go, what's that? He said, well, that's the guy I operated on yesterday. It didn't go so well, but let's get this. Whoa, stop. Number five, what is the track record? What's the track record? What happened the last time? See, our minds build mental maps. When a teenager goes in and talks to a parent about a problem and the parent goes off and says, you did what? I, and they're building a map, a track record. When I try to talk to them, this is what happens. The next time they got a problem, they're not going there. They're going to go find some peer that'll understand. But the answers the peer gives them might not be a group you want them with. Or talking to a boss. And we build track records. And everybody has problems and failures. That's not a track record. We solve problems. But if you've got a pattern, that's different. Because we trust a track record. And the best predictor of the future is always the past. Until something different happens. This is why sorry is not enough. Sorry will get you forgiveness. That's free. Trust is earned. It's earned through a track record. The Bible says this over and over. He who's faithful in little will be given more, for example. So we got to look at, this isn't just a New Year's resolution. <laughs> if you're going to hire somebody on January 1, I don't know, you know, they turned a corner after a bender last night <laughs> with a New Year's resolution. I want to know what the last year, two years, three years has looked like. And let's start building a new past that we can trust. My wife and I went down to South Louisiana to visit some friends before you had GPS on your phone. 
And I had the address, we're down in the swamp, 60 miles south of New Orleans, which I thought would be in the Gulf, but there's actually people down there. And we're driving through the levees and the swamps. And I get the directions and they're not finding it. And so I pull off the gas station and, and <laughs> I go in and, and I gave the lady the address. I said, do you know how to get it? She said, oh yes, here's what you do. You go down the road a little ways and then I said, well, how far? She goes, well, you know, a little ways. And I said, but how far? She goes, well, it's a ways. You know, just go down there a ways. She says, and then you'll see a dog lying in the grass. And when you see that dog, hang a right. <laughs> a dog? She goes, yeah, yeah, the dog will be lying in the grass. Just turn right, right there. I go, how do you know he's going to be there? She said, he'll be there. I said, do you have a sign? She goes, no, just look for the dogs. That's all I got. So Tori and I get in the car and we drive down. We drive down, drive down, and then we're, and then all of a sudden there's a German shepherd lying in the grass. We turn right and the house is on the left. How'd the lady know to trust the dog? The dog had a track record. It's been there for 10 years. Everybody we interact with remembers the last time we interacted. So, we close with this. Understanding motive, ability, makeup, character. And the last one, track record. If we can check all those boxes, that's the people that God calls us to be. And it's also, and I'll tell you, after decades of this, of trusting him, that's who he is. He came and understood us. His motives, you can't say it was about him when you get crucified. <laughs> that was for us. He has the competency to pull it off. He made this place. And his makeup is all the qualities of character that we want. And he has a track record. The Bible always says, if you're in a dilemma, he says, remember when you were slaves in Egypt. Remember when the giants were coming. Remember this, remember that. And I will be with you. And he calls us to trust him. And that is my prayer for all of us to be that kind of person to turn to him. If you've never done it before, today's a good start. And if you've done it before, he always calls us back to that, to trust him and find, like David said in Psalm 101, stay away from these kind of people, but the ones who do it this way, they will minister to me. I will dwell with them. Let's do that. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.